Ayatollah of Fantasy Rock and Roller with us today, Adam Rank. How are you doing, Rank? Um, you look great in person, and I uh, just can't wait to next year where we can pack it full of 25,000. Hey, Bob, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I didn't know it was Ball Guy's day. It was me and Rank. I mean, how do you lose? This is the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. Hello and welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast as we continue our team-by-team preview here with our Team Spotlight series. And this time we are heading to the AFC West where we're going to be talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Denver Broncos from fantasy studs and duds all the way through the team's depth charts and their record projections here heading into 2023. Which teams are going to be vying for those playoff spots? Which teams are going to be on the outside looking in when the dust all settles? And our first stop on this preview, it's going to be to the Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, last season, they finished with a 14-3 and record there, scoring 496 points while surrendering just 369. When we look at their offense as a whole, the number one passing offense in the National Football League, averaging 288.9 passing yards per game. Meanwhile, their run offense was averaging 115.7 yards per game, which was good enough for 20th. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, their passing defense was 20th in the league, giving up 225.1 yards per contest. Meanwhile, the run defense was a little bit more stout there, ranking 8th, giving up just 107.7. Now, a lot of those reasons are teams were looking to come back against the Kansas City Chiefs, which means they're going to be putting the ball in the air, which means they're running the ball a lot less, which is going to kind of make those numbers well, maybe not quite as honorable as you may be thinking. Now, last season was supposed to be a down year for the Chiefs, especially after they dealt their most explosive player there in Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins. They essentially replaced him with a cast that included Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Justin Watson, and Sky Moore, and somehow they did not miss a beat. In fact, they went from 288.8 passing yards per game in 2021 to 288.9 passing yards in 2022. Only one team can win their final contest of the season, and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs did just that, finishing the 2022 season on an eight-game winning streak. Kansas City, they are primed to repeat in 2023. And with Mahomes, they're going to be a contender for years to come. One area of concern for the Kansas City Chiefs, and this is really nitpicking at this point because there's really nothing to hate about the Kansas City Chiefs, except they're so good pretty much everywhere on the field. But if we had to find one area, and that's going to be the protection of Patrick Mahomes. Now, the Chiefs are deploying here two new offensive tackles here who they both acquired via free agency. That's Jawan Taylor from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and Donovan Smith, who they got from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Donovan Smith, he also led the league in holding calls just a season ago. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on as the season goes on and on. When you look at this Chiefs depth chart, going into camp here, you got to look at certain types of battles. We need to know who that number two pass catcher behind Travis Kelsey is going to be in this offense. Could it be Jarek McKinnon, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, Kadarius Toney, Sky Moore, or even the rookie Rasheed Rice? Heck, even Justin Ross is being touted as a breakout candidate here in 2023. The Chiefs passing game has always been that wide receiver by committee type approach here. 
but it really doesn't matter as long as Patrick Mahomes is under center. All these receivers are going to have some kind of degree of appeal, especially for fantasy purposes. You look across this whole board and you have to be like, hey, I really think that Kadarius Tony could be that guy, but he's got his own concerns, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Rasheed Rice, all kinds of offensive upside there. And Sky Moore was that guy that we believed in heading into last season. And at this point, we know what Marquez Valdez-Scantling essentially is. He is what he is, and that is that's fine. That's, that works for this Chiefs offense. Now, what do they do in this draft? We mentioned Rasheed Rice there. He was drafted in the second round, pick number 55. Well, the Chiefs selected Felix Anuki Azama there, an edge defender out of Northwestern in the first round. They then came back in the third round and went to the tackle position with Wanye Morris out of Oklahoma in the fourth round, pick 119, safety Chamari Connor, and then in the fifth round, pick 166, linebacker B.J. Thompson. Now, when we look at some of these moves that they made in the offseason outside of the draft via free agency, via trades, whatever you want to look at, some of the biggest additions, we talked about the additions of those offensive tackles there in Juwan Taylor and Donovan Smith. They also added wide receiver Richie James, defensive end Charles Amenahue, as well as linebackers Drew Tranquil, safety Mike Edwards, and quarterback Blaine Gabbert. Now on the flip side of that coin, some of the losses included defensive end Frank Clark, quarterback Chad Henney, who retired, offensive tackle Orlando Brown, safety Juan Thornhill, wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster, defensive tackle Kalen Saunders, and offensive lineman Andrew Wiley. So what were the best moves and the worst moves for the Chiefs this offseason? Everything Kansas City did throughout this offseason, it was pretty solid. It's hard to pinpoint that one best move when in reality, they didn't have any missteps along the way. Last season, the Chiefs, they restocked their cupboards with the money they saved in not retaining Tyreek Hill, and they rebuilt much of their defense, including that secondary, a secondary that came along a lot quicker than many anticipated. Now, Kansas City, they did a good job drafting early on again this season with the selections of Uzama there, who's going to be the eventual replacement to Frank Clark. Wanya Morris, who is a big offensive tackle from the University of Oklahoma, that Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs have had a lot of success what addressing their offensive lines in the past and then Rasheed Rice who has an opportunity to step in day one and be perhaps the best wide receiver on this roster so what was the worst move that the Chiefs made this offseason well I mean if you're looking at possible bad moves or uh, maybe missteps along the way maybe the loss of Orlando Brown is the biggest hole that they needed to fill and they really did fill that with Jawan Taylor and Donovan Smith which probably ended up strengthening this offensive line uh, more so than it was last season then they had some issues there in the secondary with the loss of Juan Thornhill, but they plugged that with safety Mike Edwards in free agency. And then when you look a little bit further down what they did along the defensive line, they lost Frank Clark, but they're basically plugging that with Charles Aminhu there, as well as the draft pick uh, Felix Anuki Uzama as well. So they did a very good job of replacing anything in which they lost. When I look at this team for from a fantasy perspective, putting my, my, my fantasy hat on here and taking a look at it, man, how dangerous could Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense be if the Chiefs were able to go out there and add an alpha-type wide receiver? Maybe someone like DeAndre Hopkins, but their current cap situation simply does not allow this to happen. So what needs to happen for the Chiefs to have success once again here in 2023? It's really simple. Protect Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs had one of the best offensive lines last season. They rarely gave up the sacks. Now, part of that was on the offensive line doing their job, but part of that is Patrick Mahomes and what he can do back there. He simply is a hard man to catch and a hard man to bring down. 
Either way, if the Chiefs can keep Patrick Mahomes clean, they will be set up for another deep postseason run as they have the two-time Super Bowl MVP, the two-time NFL MVP, orchestrating this offense and a young defense that improved throughout the 2022 campaign, looking to take that next step here in 2023. My prediction for the Chiefs, they are going to finish once again with a 14-3 and record. I mean, the AFC is tough, and that's a pretty solid uh, record when it's all said and done. Now let's talk fantasy, and let's talk about the top five fantasy assets for the Kansas City Chiefs, starting with, of course, Patrick Mahomes. When he's not crushing dingers in slow pitch or keeping Travis Kelsey away from the mic there at the White House, Mahomes is out there balling. Two Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs, two league MVPs, enough said. And number two, Travis Kelsey. Kelsey saw 152 targets last season and averaged 19.2 fantasy points per game in PPR. The next closest tight end was TJ Hawkinson, who averaged 13.3 fantasy points. Talk about a positional advantage. Now, number three, Kadarius Toney. The talent is there. However, the hamstrings, that's a completely different story. If Tony can stay healthy, he will have every opportunity to be the wide receiver one for Patrick Mahomes, drawing 24.6% of a target share last season when he was healthy. No other receiver on this Chiefs team had a higher target share than 18.5%. Number four, Isaiah Pacheco. Jarek McKinnon limits Pacheco's ceiling to a degree. But in 2022, from weeks 10 through 17, Pacheco was 21st in PPR scoring, but was 6th in total rushing yards. In the postseason, he outtouched McKinnon 13-7 on a per-game basis there and averaged 65 yards per game on the ground. And finally, number 5, Sky Moore. It was really a coin toss here between Moore and Rasheed Rice, but I'm going with the incumbent here as far as redraft is concerned. Now, as far as the fantasy player that you have to have on this team, Mahomes is great, but the gap between he and Justin Allen last season was just 16 fantasy points, and that works out to about one fantasy point per game. The difference between Mahomes and the 12th-ranked quarterback in fantasy was 143 points. Now, that's, that's pretty impressive. But the difference between Kelsey and the number two tight end, TJ Hawkinson, was 93.7 fantasy points, and the gap between Kelsey and and Pat Fairmouth, who's the number six tight end in fantasy scoring, was 157.8 in PPR formats. In PPR, Mahomes was the number one scorer altogether, but Travis Kelsey was 12th overall. So for that, when you look at value-based drafting there and kind of positional awareness, Kelsey is the most valuable asset in fantasy sports. The biggest bust on this Chiefs right now, it's going to be Kadarius Tony. I can't trust the man or his hamstrings. I... The talent is there, but I need consistency in my life. I'm about consistency. I need players that are going to be there for me when I need them. And Tony simply hasn't been that. But when he's been on the field, Tony has saw a 28.6% target share per route run, which averages to about 2.44 yards per route. The bottom line is he only sees about 30 to 35% of the team snaps due to injury. And that's just something you can't trust. Now, the best value on this Chiefs team it has to be whichever wide receiver on this Chiefs team hits. Sky Moore is coming off the board around wide receiver 56 in that range, while Rasheed Rice is coming in about closer to wide receiver 59. The veteran Valdez Scantling, he's sitting there at wide receiver 71. And if you're like me and you can't trust Tony, then Moore or Rice is a great late-round option that has a chance of hitting. Kind of like a little bit of a lottery ticket there that you're not really investing a whole lot in, like a $2 scratch ticket that could win you millions. If you're looking for a deep sleeper from this Chiefs offense, 
maybe even a guy who's not even projected to make it to the field here in 2023, who's basically a fantasy free space at this point, a player that you could draft with your last pick if you're comfortable with cutting if you need to. How about Justin Ross as a target who's currently going as the wide receiver in 96? He's being selected with a 212th pick in most drafts. This receiver room is up for grabs when it comes to that lead pass catcher role. Ross, he's got some work ahead of him, but the path to opportunity is going to be there. And if Patrick Mahomes believes in him, you probably should too. And the way that the Kansas City Chiefs have played, it doesn't matter who's out there catching passes as long as it's Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball. This Chiefs team is not disappearing anytime soon. Not in the NFL, not for your fantasy. As long as Patrick Mahomes is there breathing and throwing passes, this Chiefs team is going to be a perennial Super Bowl contender. It's simply that easy. When you look at teams that can really contend in that AFC West with the Kansas City Chiefs, the first team that comes to mind is the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, last season, they finished with a 10-7 record. They scored 391 points. They gave up. 384, so they had a plus seven differential as far as that's concerned. Their passing offense ranked third in the league, averaging 282.4 yards per game, while their run offense was kind of at the bottom there, ranking 30th at 88.4. As far as their run defense is concerned, their run defense was 27th in the league, giving up 144.2 yards per game, while their pass defense was 7th in the league, giving up just 204.4 yards per contest. When looking at the 2022 season, kind of keeping an eye on 2023, what happened to the Chargers? Injuries really limited what the Chargers were and were not able to do last season. Justin Herbert never seemed to be able to get right after breaking his ribs there early on in the season, while his top two targets in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams missed a combined 11 contest. Likely due to injuries, but the Chargers' offense was not efficient 14th in yards per attempt, 6.1. But those injuries weren't the problem for the defense that allowed 5.2 yards per carry, which was a league worse. Now, saying that, those injuries had very little to do with what happened in that AFC wildcard game in which the Chargers blew a 27-7 halftime lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, when you look at the 2023 season here and what's going on in camp, what camp battle am I interested in watching? Well, I want to see where this chemistry is coming from in this passing offense. I want to see what kind of chemistry Justin Herbert can develop with rookie wide receiver Quinton Johnson. I have strong feelings about Keenan Allen being a number one receiver, but I don't feel the same about Mike Williams being a number two. Williams will certainly be looked upon when the Chargers are down in the red zone as he's one of the best contested catch guys in the league. And those contested catches are something that Quinton Johnson is going to have to improve on. Despite having his size, that is something that he really struggles with. That said, Johnson is a much better yards after the catch guy than Williams ever has been. And that is something that could earn him favor with Justin Herbert sooner rather than later. That's also one of the main reasons that the Chargers selected Johnson in that first round because they're looking for that explosive playmaker to lead them on to the next few seasons because Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, they are getting a little bit older. Now, when you look at the rest of this draft class for the Chargers, we talked about Quinton Johnson being selected 21st overall. In the second round, they addressed the edge position. In the third round, they went to the linebacker there with Dayan Henley. Fourth round, went back to TCU, went back to the wide receiver position with Darius Davis. Fifth round, pick 156, offensive tackle Jordan McFadden. And in the seventh round, not a big deal, but they went with quarterback Max Duggan, again, out of TCU. So very strong TCU-type draft there with Johnson, Davis, and Duggan. Now, when you look at their additions via free agency, look, the Chargers really didn't do nothing as far as free agency is concerned. Their big pickup, their only pickup, 
really was linebacker Eric Kendricks, who was let go there from the Minnesota Vikings. Now, some of the losses, again, not a whole lot of loss here on the Chargers end of things. Linebackers Drew Tranquil, who went to the Kansas City Chiefs. Linebacker Kyle Van Noy. And safety Nazir Adderley, who retired. So we look at the best moves and the worst moves for this Chargers team here. Eric Kendricks, he's got to be considered the best move because really he was the only move. I mean, you could talk about the draft picks there and Quinton Johnson being that guy. But Eric Kendricks has posted 90 tackles in each of his eight seasons in the NFL and more than 105 total tackles there in seven consecutive seasons. Kendricks' presence should improve on this Chargers run defense. We talked about how bad they were last season, and he's clearly an upgrade over Tranquil and Van Noy as a run defender. Even the Minnesota Vikings believe that he had lost a step and weren't really willing to pay a 31-year-old linebacker that $10 million cap hit. But the Chargers, hey, the desperate times call for desperate measures, especially when your run defense is very desperate. Now, the worst move, it's not exactly what they did, but perhaps what they did not do. Sure, they added Kendricks there to stop the run there in the middle of that defense, but I'm not sure Morgan Fox, Austin Johnson, or Sebastian Joseph Day, as good of players as they are, are considered imposing frontline defenders along this defensive front. I'm not even sure they're really offensive coordinators game plan around these three guys. Los Angeles really could have benefited from the addition of a Javon Hargrave type player, or even a Delvin Tomlinson type player. Anything would have been an upgrade along that defensive front. But what needs to happen for the Chargers to have success here in 2023? First, the Chargers have to put that wild card game behind them. I mean, when something when you collapse like that, it's always going to be in the back of your head. No matter what, even no matter if you get up by 20 points, that whole loss in the wild card is going to be in the back of your head. It just is. They need to find a way to get past that heading into 2023. That's just the first step. Second, they need to stay healthy. We talked about the injuries to Herbert, to Jalen Guyton, to Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. This offense was decimated by injuries, but their defense suffered too. Joey Bosa also missed significant time, and he's a big part of that Chargers defense. We know what this Chargers offense is capable of doing when it has all its pieces in place. Herbert, Allen, Williams, Eckler, Gerald Everett, they all return. Add Quinton Johnson to this mix here. And another big-time playmaker to this offense. And you have one of the most prolific group of playmakers any team can field at any time. Now, as long as they can all remain on the field, the Chargers are going to be one of the few teams that can go punch for punch with this Kansas City Chiefs team. After all, they lost their two games against their division rivals by a combined six points last season. As far as the record goes in 2023, they're going to be battling the likes of Miami, Cleveland, and the New York Jets for that final playoff berth in the postseason. And it all comes down to that run defense, that Chargers Achilles heel. So I'm going to say the Chargers right now finish with a 10-7 and record and are going to be knocking on that wild card opportunity when it comes to postseason play. Now, we want to talk about play. Let's talk about fantasy play. Let's talk about fantasy assets. And let's talk about the top five for the Los Angeles Chargers, starting with Justin Herbert. In 2022, Herbert not only dealt with injuries to his top receivers, but he also battled through that rib injury himself, and he was never quite right all season long. Now, only yet, yet when you look at it all, only Patrick Mahomes had more passing yards than Herbert's 4,739. The addition of Quinton Johnson, along with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, should help push those 2022 yards per attempt much higher than the 6.8 he had last season. Austin Eckler, he comes in at number two. Eckler wanted a new deal. Instead, his current deal got reworked to include more incentives. 
In the last two seasons, Eckler leads all running backs in receptions with 177, receiving yards with 1,369, and touchdowns with 38. His 3,195 scrimmage yards, that sits third. Number three, Keenan Allen. He is that wide receiver one that you're paying wide receiver two prices on each and every season. Why do we not just figure this out? Now, injuries, I know, play a factor into it. And last season, it was no different than we kind of went back to where Keenan Allen was, quote-unquote, injury-prone. I don't believe that's the case. I think it was just bad luck here for Keenan Allen last season. Now, over the Chargers' final six contests, Allen's fantasy production was inside the top 12 in four of those games. Now, Mike Williams, he comes in at number four despite missing four games last season, probably playing hurt in many other contests in 2022. When looking at a points-per-game basis, Williams was wide receiver 20, and his 895 receiving yards, that was 25th in the league. He also counted for 31.1% of the Chargers' air yards, which was 21st in the NFL. And finally, you can't go on and talk about fantasy assets without talking about the rookie here, Quinton Johnson. He can take a five-yard curl, make a dude miss, and make a house call from anywhere on the field. He's a playmaker. Just ask DJ Turner. So who's that one player that you have to add from the Los Angeles Chargers? It's Austin Eckler, who has been incentivized here heading into 2023. The Chargers refused to extend him, but they did add some money via incentive. So Eckler will not only be looking to earn those bonuses, but also build a resume there for a potential payday next season. Although he will be 29 once the 2024 season comes around. In PPR formats, Eckler is one of those no-doubter type picks finishing first or second in PPR scoring in each of the last two seasons. Last year was a bit of a down year for him. He only scored 18 times after scoring 20 times the season prior. Behind Eckler, it's Joshua Kelly, it's Isaiah Spiller, it's Larry Roundtree. There's no one here to challenge Eckler for a role here on this Chargers backfield. As far as the biggest bust, Mike Williams drives me crazy. He may not be a bust in traditional senses here, there will be weeks that Mike Williams certainly outproduces Keenan Allen, but there's going to be just as many weeks in which he fails to record double-digit fantasy points. I need that consistency, man. I need the consistency. Now, the best value for fantasy on this Chargers team, if you think, if I feel a certain way about Mike Williams, that means I feel that Keenan Allen is an absolute steal. Keenan Allen is basically the last receiver that I feel comfortable with in fantasy to be my wide receiver one, especially if I hit running backs early on. But Allen, he has to stay healthy too. When he was healthy, he was one of the top receivers in fantasy. No, really. Look, look at weeks 11 through 18. Wide receiver four, thanks to a 26.5% target share, a 34.9% air yard share, while averaging 2.24 yards per route. When you think about fantasy sleepers, most players that are being slept on didn't even play last season, as is the case for Jalen Guyton. That's how deep we're going for this Chargers team. Last season, we know none of these Chargers can stay healthy, and that includes Jalen Guyton there, who also suffered that ACL injury back in September. But, you know, he's got that full year kind of to recover there. And there's no speedster on this Chargers team. There's no one to stretch this defense for Justin Herbert. That's exactly what Jalen Guyton comes in and does. He's that guy who's going to stretch out defenses and create not only for himself, but for his teammates out there and for Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert needs Jalen Guyton just as much as he needs Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Austin Eckler. It's just that we don't talk about Jalen Guyton and what he does. 
It's not always going to show up on the stat sheet, but at some point it's going to be. If you're looking at best ball or something like that, Jalen Guyton is one of those guys you have to make sure you're drafting. And you could do no worse considering we know the injury history of this Chargers team. We know that Mike Williams has struggled to stay healthy. We know that Keenan Allen has struggled to stay healthy. If that's the case, then Jalen Guyton, Joshua Palmer, and Quinton Johnson could be the players that lead this team moving forward. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, unless, of course, you're Derek Carr. Now, the Raiders last season, they finished at 6-11. and 11. They, hey, they could put up points. They had more points than the Los Angeles Chargers. They scored 395. Unfortunately, they gave up the second most in the AFC, and that's 418, which kind of resulted in that negative 23 points for and against differential. Passing offense, good. Sixth in the league, 269.4 per game. Run offense, not too bad. 17th in the league, 121.1 rushing yards per game. Not so good. That defense in the past game, 29th in the league, allowing 242.9 yards per contest, while the run defense was 19th, allowing 122.8. Now, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about the Vegas Raiders in 2022, they weren't able to win the close games like they had done in 2021. The Raiders in 2021 were 7-2 in one score contest. Meanwhile, in 2022, they lost nine of 13 such contests. Vegas has had plenty of time to reflect on a season that was. A season that included benching their all-time leading passer, their Pro Bowl signal caller for the final two games of the season. They had one of the more formidable offenses, even when Jared Steedham took snaps under center as they were sixth in the AFC in scoring. Unfortunately, Derek Carr couldn't play defense. A defense that allowed more points than just about every team in the league. And I feel that when we look back on this whole campaign, Derek Carr, and this is true about most quarterbacks, you get too much credit when things are going good, you get too much blame when things are going bad. And I think that was kind of the situation that happened with the Raiders, not only in 2022, but 2021, 2020, 2019. You got you got to get your drift when we're talking about Derek Carr. Now, the camp battle that I'm watching here heading into 2023 – all eyes are going to be on the quarterback position, and rightfully so. Jimmy Garoppolo, he should be the starter when he's healthy, if he's healthy. I'm not even sure he's going to get healthy, which is really making the whole Derek Carr release a bad look for the Raiders organization heading into 2023. Now, I will give the Raiders the benefit of the doubt here, assuming that they've been aware of Garoppolo's foot problem since the get-go, since day number one, and are comfortable with Garoppolo's recovery, and he's going to be ready for week number one because Aiden O'Connell isn't going to be ready. Brian Hoyer simply isn't that dude anymore, and if your eyes aren't on that quarterback position, it's going to be on the guys who are catching the passes from the quarterback, namely Jacoby Myers versus Hunter Renfro, battling it out for slot supremacy. Renfro has been the topic of trade talks here much of the offseason, and I'm not sure either pass catcher is really built to play on the outside. So when it comes down to the one who's going to have the most success is going to be the receiver here who's playing out of the slot. Now, when you look at this draft class for the Raiders, the Raiders haven't been good or haven't had much luck when it comes to the draft in recent years. In fact, most of their draft picks outside of Josh Jacobs have either moved on, been cut, been released, been traded, just not been in Vegas. So that's called the way it is. Now, pick uh, the first round selection there of Tyree Wilson was a huge addition there because you're getting yourself one of the premier pass rushers that was available in this year's draft. In the second round, pick number 35, Michael Mayer, tight end out of Notre Dame. Third round, they looked at went back to the defensive line there with Byron Young there out of Alabama. Fourth round, Yokarian Bennett, a Maryland cornerback. Fourth round, Aiden O'Connell, Purdue quarterback. Fifth round, they went back to the secondary and grabbed themselves Christopher Smith out of Georgia. And in the sixth round, they got themselves a good coverage uh, good coverage linebacker there in Amari Bernie out of Florida. Now, when I look at this draft class, 
the Raiders have identified that they really need help on the defensive side of the ball. Again, Wilson, Young, Bennett, Christopher Smith, Bernie, all guys that are there to help identify the misfortunes of this defense moving forward. Now, when you look at the additions and subtractions via the offseason here, Jimmy Garoppolo, he comes to mind first. Jacoby Myers, Marcus Epps, the safety, uh, cornerback Brandon Faison, linebacker Robert Spieline, uh, tight ends Austin Hooper and O.J. Howard, cornerback Duke Shelley, wide receiver Philip Dorsett, and again, cornerback David Long Jr. With one eye on their defense, they addressed a lot of things here where they needed help. Secondary help. Marcus Epps, Brennan Fasson, right? Robert Spieline, who's probably going to step in and be a starting linebacker day one. And that's not saying a whole lot because this linebacker core may be one of the worst in the league right now. Their losses, Derek Carr, I mean, it's definitely one of the biggest losses when you think about it. Foster Moreau, uh, tight end. Linebacker Denzel Perryman, who had a really good couple seasons there with the Raiders. Tight end Darren Waller. And of course, wide receiver Matt Collins. Now, what was the best move for the Raiders this offseason? I'm actually going to go with one that, Maybe a bit of a shock to most people. And I'm going to say the trade of Darren Waller, which freed up some much needed salary space. But that's only a good move because of how Michael Mayer basically fell right into their laps. If Mayer doesn't come to Vegas, if they don't draft Mayer with the 35th pick, this is probably not a good move for the Raiders. Waller has been a great player for this organization and for fantasy when he's been healthy. Unfortunately, your best ability is your availability, and Waller simply wasn't available last season. Unfortunately, the NFL is a business, and when you land a big-time extension, the team expects more than nine games out of you and 28 receptions. And that's the ugly truth there. I'll say it. Now, the worst move for the Raiders, I think it's pretty obvious. I get that Derek Carr was a polarizing fixture within the organization, within the fan base, within fantasy. I also understand he never got to the big one, right? Playoff success always eluded him. And that's what we are really based on as uh, NFL players is success in the postseason. This whole situation, though, feels like management botched it. I really do see both sides. I, I do. I mean, I'm uh, I'm not even going to pretend that I'm not a big Derek Carr fan at this point because, hey, I love what Derek Carr did for this organization. And I think he's still a very good quarterback. I also don't believe there's 15 other quarterbacks better than Derek Carr in the league right now. But that's for another video another day. But making a move of this magnitude without a plan really doesn't feel right. Grapple, he's a lateral move at best. I can't imagine him being their first option in the offseason. If you're going to lose your number one quarterback, you need to make sure you're getting a number one quarterback. It's really that simple. As good as Tyree Wilson may be for this organization, I think he's going to be fantastic. You had to have considered strongly to move that seventh overall pick and try and get yourself positioned ahead of the Colts to acquire Anthony Richardson. I mean, I think that's what the fan base wants. I think that's what fantasy football wanted was Anthony Richardson in a Raiders uniform. Now, what needs to happen for these Raiders here in 2023? The Raiders need Jimmy Garoppolo to be ready for week number one. Not Aiden O'Connell and sure as heck not Carson Wentz. Now, Garoppolo, he's coming in from San Francisco where he played with George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and for a brief period, Christian McCaffrey. So Garoppolo, he knows one thing, and that's how to get the ball into his playmaker's hands. Josh Jacobs, he needs to be that bell cow once again because there's no one behind him. He's going to be carrying this load. And Devontae Adams, he has to be a top five wide receiver. Not just a top five wide receiver in the league, but in fantasy as well. As the Raiders, they need to find a way to make it work between Renfro and Myers 
And that's probably easier said than done. That's only part, only part of the equation. We're only talking about the offensive side of the ball. Someone other than Max Crosby needs to find a way to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Chandler Jones was second on the team in sacks with four and a half last season. So what's the outlook look like for the Raiders here in 2023? I'm not sure what to expect. I really don't. It really comes down to Jimmy Garoppolo and his availability. Vegas was a playoff team in 2021. The record dropped to 6-11 and last season. But if you believe that Garoppolo is a lateral move from Derek Carr at the quarterback position, then if this defense can improve, and it should improve based on the moves that they made, they'll be in that 8-9 and nine and 9-8 nine and eight type record as far as wins and losses are concerned. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here once again. I'm going to call it 9-8 and eight just because I think that this division is going to be really good. But I think that the Raiders are going to find a way to win those closer games compared to what they did last season. We know that they're going to be in close games, and I don't think the record quite indicated where they were last season. But again, this all depends on Jimmy Garoppolo playing and staying healthy. As far as fantasy is concerned, we have to talk about the top five fantasy assets for the Vegas Raiders, and it starts with number one, Devontae Adams. Adams is still a top three receiver in the game today. But for fantasy, he's a bit of an unknown. We don't know with any certainty what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be able to play in 2023. The one thing that we do know is in week 17 and 18, without Derek Carr, Adams would haul in 12 of 20 targets for 226 yards and a pair of scores with Jared Seedham throwing the ball. Now, Seedham is still an upgrade over Aiden O'Connell, still an upgrade over Brian Hoyer, and I'm still wondering why the Raiders let Seedham go. Now, number two, Josh Jacobs. Volume is king. Jacobs turned his league-high 393 touches into 1,653 rushing yards and 400 yards receiving. Yes, we had a 2,000-yard man there in Vegas last season. Vegas didn't do nothing to put a challenge on Jacobs in this backfield, so expect another bell type season in 2023. And number three, Jacoby Myers. Both Myers and Renfro, they both play primarily out of the slot. Myers just got paid this season in free agency, and he's had plenty of success there in New England, especially 2021 under Josh McDaniels, who was the then offensive coordinator. And number four, Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo averaged 16.7 fantasy points last season in San Francisco before getting hurt in week 13. Garoppolo understands one thing, and that's how to get the ball into guys' hands that are going to make him look better. He was averaging 8.3 yards per attempt despite not having what you would consider a big arm. Unfortunately, again, we do not know the extent of the injury in which Garoppolo is dealing with because the Raiders have been pretty vague all offseason when it comes down. We don't even have a timetable for his return. And number five, Hunter Renfro. It's still not certain if Renfro is going to be on this roster come week number one. Vegas has invested more money into this receiver room than any other organization. Renfro's cap hit is going to make him a difficult asset to move. Even if the Raiders do find a trade partner, they're going to be eating about $1.8 million in dead cap until 2026 if they moved Renfro. So heading into your 2023 fantasy drafts, who's the one player from the Raiders that you have to add to your roster? It's Josh Jacobs, leading the league in touches, leading the league in rushing, and he was third in PPR scoring behind Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler, and yet he's still being drafted far too late, far too often at the top of the third round. Vegas did nothing this offseason that's going to affect Josh Jacobs, except maybe not pay him, but you should expect another heavy workload for Josh Jacobs looking to secure that big payday after being hit with the franchise tag in the offseason. Now, the biggest bust, hey, this one hurts. This one stings a little bit. 
with the uncertainty at the quarterback position, I'm going to go with Devontae Adams here, who's being drafted as a fifth receiver off the board after finishing third in fantasy circles a season ago. Adams turns 31 in December, but he's also coming off a season which he had a 32.3% target share. But that wasn't from passes from Jimmy Garoppolo. All the numbers say that Adams isn't slowing down, but last season, Waller and Renfro, they each missed time, and the Raiders added Austin Hooper, Jacoby Myers, and Michael Mayer. So through the process of elimination, there are more competition for targets this year than there was last season just because Waller and Renfro weren't playing. And then you're bringing both uh, Renfro is going to be there, Jacoby Myers is going to be there, Austin Hooper is going to be there, Michael Mayer is going to be there. There's going to be more guys looking to catch passes. And we do know that one thing that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't do is push the ball down the field very often. Now, the best fantasy value for this Raiders team is going to be Jacoby Myers, who's currently coming off the board at pick 119 or wide receiver 54. That's right. Behind Tyler Boyd, behind Odell Beckham Jr., behind Cortland Sutton, behind Michael Thomas, who can't stay healthy, behind Alan Lazard, behind Jameson Winston, who's suspended, and behind Juju Smith-Schuster, who replaced him in New England. Myers comes to Vegas with an understanding of this offense and what the coaches are expecting. So I'm expecting Myers to be a lot better than what he's currently being drafted at. As far as the fantasy sleeper is concerned, how about Michael Mayer? It's really an open competition for targets behind Devontae Adams in this Raiders offense. And if we are assuming that Garoppolo will be available from start to finish, then we have to assume that Garoppolo's history is going to continue with him targeting tight ends, much like he did in San Francisco. I'm not saying Mayer is going to produce at a George Kittle type level, but he could be a nice tight end too that starts producing the tight end type numbers there as the season progresses. Jimmy Garoppolo threw 15 touchdowns in his career to tight ends. He also has a 105.4 passer rating when targeting the position. So if you're targeting players for this Raiders team, there is some opportunity for fantasy production here from Michael Mayer, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, Jacoby Myers, even possibly Hunter Renfro, depending on how the situation plays out. The Raiders do have some fantasy value on the offensive side of the ball. And if their defense improves, a little bit, they're still not going to be great, which means this offense is going to have to throw to stay into contest. One of the most polarizing teams heading into 2023 could very well be the Denver Broncos, who finished 2022 with a 5-12 record and scored only 287 points while surrendering 359. That's a negative 72-point differential. Their passing offense ranked 22nd, uh, getting about 202.6 yards per game. Their run offense was 5th, averaging 146.5 yards per game. Meanwhile, their passing defense was the 5th best in the league, surrendering just 196.2, while their run defense was 25th, allowing 135 yards per contest. Only the Texans and the Colts had a worse points differential than the Broncos did in 2022. And no team, no team scored four, fewer points than the Broncos did. Nothing went right or looked right in Broncos country last season. Let's call it the way it is. Tyreek Wollum was even out there body shaming Russell Wilson, saying that he looked like a sack of potatoes. Tim Patrick, he got hurt before the season even started. Javante Williams suffered a nasty knee injury. The Broncos offensive line surrendered a league-high 63 sacks, some of those falling directly onto Russell Wilson's shoulders for holding onto the ball too long. Even big-ticket free agent signing Randy Gregory was a bust, limited to just six contests, picking up just a pair of sacks. Changes needed to occur, and they did, and more on that in a second. But first, let's turn our attention to OTAs. And two things that I'm going to be watching for throughout the camp, throughout the offseason here, is Javante Williams' touches versus Samaje Pirines. 
We know that Piran has the ability to be a lead back. We saw him go to work there in Cincinnati when Joe Mixon got hurt. We also know that Javante Williams may or may not be ready come week number one. It depends if you are in that corner that believes in Sean Payton. I'm not. I think he's a liar. And I think that Williams is going to be out a little bit longer than expected, which is why the rumors of the Broncos being attached to Delvin Cook could be quite telling. How are targets going to be distributed here in Denver? We know that Judy and Sutton each had over 100 targets. Most of Sutton's coming when Judy wasn't available. But after that, there was a huge drop-off when Greg Dolchitz was next in line with 55 targets and Kendall Hinton was fourth with 33. Jerry, Judy, and Cortland Sutton, they're still there. We also know that the Broncos traded for Adam Troutman. We also know that KJ Hamler and Tim Patrick are going to be healthy. And we know that Marvin Mims was drafted to add some explosiveness to this Sean Payton offense. Now let's talk about some of these other additions here. Let's talk about the draft. Let's talk about offseason trades and all this other fun stuff. In the draft class, the Broncos tra- drafted Marvin Mims in the second round, pick number 63. They followed it up in the third round with pick number 67 and linebacker Drew Sanders. In the third round, they went cornerback with pick number 83 and Riley Moss. And in round number six, pick 183, they went with safety J.L. Skinner. Now, we'll talk about those offseason additions of attractions through free agency. Sean Payton obviously is a big one, right? We got the first one we got to talk about there. Then they looked at the offensive line with Ben Powers at guard and offensive tackle there, Mike McGlinchey. Defensive line, Zach Allen. Running back, Samaj P. Ryan. And defensive end, Frank Clark. As for the losses, defensive tackle, Draymond Jones. Guard, Graham Glasgow. And cornerback, Ronald Darby. So what was the best move that the Broncos made this offseason? I'm going to say it was additions to that offensive line that included both Ben Powers and Mike McGlinchey via free agency. We already talked about the league-high 63 sacks in which the Broncos allowed last season. That's a category you do not want to lead the league in. We saw what Peyton did when he joined the Saints, a Saints team that had an undersized quarterback there. He built a line in front of him in which that Drew Brees could stand in the pocket and make plays and not worrying about when he's going to get hit next. Now, Denver, they probably overpaid when it came to Mike McGlinchey there, who signed a five-year, $87 million contract after allowing six sacks and taking 10 penalties last season, but he was still an upgrade on what the Broncos had last season. Now, the worst move, when you overpay for protection for your quarterback, then you don't necessarily have the funds to address other concerns, maybe even take care of your own in-house items. In this case, it came at the expense of Draymond Jones, who led the Broncos with six and a half sacks last season and added 47 tackles. Denver will be hoping that Drew Sanders and newly signed Frank Clark can pick up some of that production. Maybe even Randall Gregory can come in and do what he got paid for. So what needs to happen for the Broncos in 2023? Well, first off, Denver's schedule, it doesn't do them any favors. When you face the Chiefs twice, the Chargers twice, then you face the Jets, the Dolphins, the Bills, the Browns, and the Lions. It's going to be a tough road to the playoffs. That's not even to mention they have to face off against the Raiders, their AFC West divisional rival. Those games are never easy, no matter where these teams stand when it comes in the standings. Russell Wilson, he needs to shut up. I mean, I'll call it the way it is. He just needs to shut up and play ball. No more feeling dangerous. No more danger sandwiches. No more Broncos country. Let's ride. And stop this leaner and meaner. Like Wilson just can't keep his mouth shut. He has to say something stupid all the time. That's probably just who he is, but it's got to stop. Wilson needs to fix. He has to fix. And maybe that's that's Sean Payton's job here. Fix whatever caused him to have a career worst 84.4 passer rating. If they can improve on this just even a little bit, then you have to believe that they're going to be able to score more than the 16.9 points per game they averaged last season, which again was a league low. Peyton was brought in here to fix this offense, fix their offensive woes here. 
The talent, it's in place. There's plenty of talent here in Broncos country. In fact, the Broncos may have one of the best collections of talent in the entire league. When you look at their tight ends, look at the receivers, and look at the running backs, they just need to find a way to put it all together. And putting it all together starts with their top five fantasy assets. And you can't talk about their fantasy assets without looking at their number one asset, and that's Jerry Judy. A healthy Jerry Judy is as about as productive a wide receiver in fantasy as they come. From weeks number 13 to 18, Judy would average 18.5 fantasy points per contest while seeing seven and a half targets per game. And number two, part of me wanted to leave Russell Wilson completely off this list, but the other part of me put him at number two. Denver's offense was dead last in points scored at 16.9 per game while scoring on just 14.6% of their drives. Sean Payton comes in here to bring stability along with a couple offensive linemen, which should also bring Russell Wilson back up to prominence. At number three, Cortland Sutton. I'm banking on Sean Payton's offense to be able to support two receivers here at the same time. Last season, when Jerry Judy played, Sutton disappeared. Now, Sutton has been looking at a lot of that 2019 Michael Thomas film, so perhaps a bounce back is on its way. I'm still hoping that Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton can be Wilson's locket and Metcalf. This all depends on Wilson getting right, and of course, this all depends on Wilson getting right and getting on the same page as Sutton. When Wilson targeted Sutton, he was 63rd in accuracy. That's not exactly something that you want to hang your hat on. Opportunities, they were there a season ago for Sutton. When healthy, he saw a 100% route participation that included a 23.5% target shell while ranking 11th in deep targets and 17th in unrealized air yards at 693. Sutton also had a 44% route win rate there and was 10th versus man coverage. Unfortunately, Wilson had those accuracy issues. At number four, Javante Williams. I'm not sold on Williams being ready week number one, but being drafted in the eighth round of fantasy drafts is appealing. And if Williams can return to form by week eight or even sooner, he could be a league winner. At number five, Marvin Mims. Now, Tim Patrick here, he may be the sleeper, but Mims is the most explosive receiver on this Broncos depth chart. As a freshman, Mims was averaging 4.07 yards per route run at Oklahoma. He followed that up the next season with a 17.2 yards per target, which was even more impressive than CeeDee Lamb's 2019 mark. It also doesn't hurt when you run a 4.3840 and you have kickman return abilities in the open field. When walking away from your fantasy drafts, who's that one Bronco player that you need to make sure that you have rostered? Right now, it's Jerry Judy. We already talked about the numbers, but here's some more. After Judy returned from a two-game absence, he was able to close out the season with 37 receptions on 45 targets for 523 yards. That's not bad. Over six games in which he had a three-touchdown performance against the Kansas City Chiefs in that 34-28 defeat. It's well documented that Wilson struggled with the deep ball, which made Judy's work underneath even more valuable. His ADOT was 11.8, while earning an open rate that ranked him 11th according to ESPN Analytics. Also, if Williams does miss an extended period of time, the Broncos could throw more short passes, which would be an extension of their run game, which again would benefit Jerry Judy. As for the biggest bust, I'm going to stick with Cortland Sutton, who's supposed to be that deep threat for Wilson which is great, but Wilson simply hasn't been able to get the deep ball to Sutton. When both Judy and Sutton were on the field together, Sutton's numbers took a hit. Between 2020 and 2022, Sutton averaged 12.6 fantasy points per contest without Jerry Judy. Meanwhile, with Judy, there's a significant dump in which he averages just 6.5 fantasy points per game. That's a difference of wide receiver 30 to wide receiver 93. So where's the best value on this Broncos team? 
I almost, almost went with Tim Patrick here based on how inconsistent Cortland Sutton has been with Jerry Judy in the lineup. But I'm going to go with my gut here, and that's with Samaj P. Ryan, whose ADP is 107.1. He's going as the RB35. He's going about 15 spots later than Javante Williams. Worst case scenario, you got yourself one heck of a handcuff. Now, I try not to fall into this whole coach speak thing here too much in the offseason, unless, of course, it fits my narrative. But I'm looking at Javante Williams, much like I was J.K. Dobbins a season ago. Dobbins took a while to get right after tearing multiple ligaments in his knee. And I don't expect Williams to come in and be a fantasy league winner right off the get-go after tearing multiple ligaments of his own. P. Ryan could get some serious touches here in September and into October here. And if the Broncos feel that they're in playoff contention, they may choose to kind of pull back on Javante Williams a little bit. Because they know they're going to need to get him ready and get him right come December and January. And now that fantasy sleeper for the Denver Broncos, Marvin Mims, who was essentially handpicked by Sean Payton for this offense. If you recall, the Broncos traded up to get Mims. And if there's anything left in Wilson's arm, then Mims is going to be that big playability and should be able to press the seams out of the slot. Now, I joked during the draft process that if you like Jordan Addison, you'll love Marvin Mims, who is basically Jordan Addison, but faster. That said, if you are drafting rookie wide receivers, you are playing the long game here. And the expectation for that production is not going to be until week number eight or week number nine. And that's where you get that league winning upside. And that's a guy that Marvin Mims can be. He can be that guy to give you that league winning upside later on in the drafts. Think Christian Watson last season for the Green Bay Packers. That's exactly the type of uh, productivity kind of trajectory that I see Marvin Mims on. And for the Denver Broncos, the only thing slowing them down right now is themselves. If Sean Payton can get this offense right, if he can get Russell Wilson right, this team could be much better than the 9-8 and eight record in which I'm giving them. They could be a 10-win team, an 11-win team, but it's going to come down to Russell Wilson and what he can and can't do 